1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: Hello and welcome to something a little bit different. Welcome to It's All Kicking Offs Transfer Week. Every day this week, we will be here to bring you the very latest comings and goings over the last few days of the January transfer window with a good helping of analysis, comment and opinion ladled on the top. In a moment, I'll be talking to Craig Hope about what this window has looked like at the world's richest football club and asking him why on earth Newcastle have been talking about selling and not buying players this window. But first of all, let's run through a few of the deals that are being done, dusted, and sought after as we sit here today. Craig himself was out the blocks early today telling me that Crystal Palace are close to signing 19 year old midfielder. Adam Wharton from Blackburn Adam's on his way to London as we speak Simon Jones male sports transfer guru has posted on Mail Online that Man United's Facundo Pellistri is close to joining Granada on loan he's just awaiting on clearance from manager Eric Ten Hag. Sammy Mockbell our chief football reporter says Nottingham Forest want West Ham's Maxwell Corne on loan while Tom Colomossi reports that Scott McKenna could leave Forest for Copenhagen meaning that the Scottish defender could be playing Champions League football next month. Along with all that, David Brooks, the Bournemouth midfielder, is moving along the Hampshire coast to join Southampton on loan, while our man on the Mersey, Lewis Steele, has just messaged me to say that Cardiff are set to take Nat Phillips from Liverpool also on loan. And literally, as I sit here now... I've had another message from Sammy Motable telling me that uh, it looks as though Jacob Ramsey will be staying at Aston Villa this month. He won't be going to Newcastle, but he may well be subject of interest from Arsenal in the summer. Meanwhile, Kasper Schmeichel, I'm just being told, former Leicester goalkeeper, of course, title-winning goalkeeper, currently at Anderlecht, has been offered to Nottingham Forest. Now, the window in the WSL actually closes tomorrow night. So time is running out there. Our women's football correspondent, Catherine Batt, tells me that Manchester City are expected to be busy and have bid 200000 for Aston Villa's Laura Blintkilder brown While there is good news for Manchester United as goalkeeper and sports personality of the year winner Mary Earps will stay at the club despite interest from PSG. Earps, of course, is out of contract in the summer. So, Plenty happening today, but it's been, a, it's been a quiet transfer window so far. Uh, less than £50 million pounds spent by Premier League clubs so far, compared to the £815 million pounds that was spent last January. And nowhere is this being reflected more than at the richest club in the world, Newcastle. As I said uh, earlier, we're now joined by our... Uh, northeast, ex- east expert craig hope a uh, member of our senior reporting team here at mail sport um, hi craig first of all mate i think you have some good news for newcastle supporters regarding miguel almiron
3: you say good news there, Leo. it depends on your perspective. I think some supporters were hoping there might be movement on Almiron out because that would have meant a player subsequently coming in. And we know supporters like nothing more than sign-ins, do they? Yet yeah, the news I can bring you, we broke it on Mail Online earlier today, is that Miguel Almiron has travelled with the squad to Birmingham. Given that the Saudi Arabian transfer deadline closes this evening and Miguel Almiron will be at Villa Park, that would make a transfer to the Saudi club, Al-Shabaab, almost impossible. The information I have is that Almiron will stay. He never wanted to go. Now, this is one, and we're going to get into the the wise and wherefores of Newcastle's window to date so far. This is a deal the club were willing to do. Not Eddie Howe. I think Eddie Howe wanted to keep the player, but there was an understanding, even from the head coach's point of view, that if they were to bring in one or two of the players he wanted players had to leave and Almiron was identified by the hierarchy as a deal for what somewhere 20-25 million pound that would have made sense the only problem was the player didn't want to go he's getting his wish he will stay.
2: Oh, I consider Almiron to be one of Newcastle's best players maybe I'm maybe I'm in the minority there but if a club like Newcastle is considering selling its best players in a January window then that tells me that something isn't quite right so Craig you Nobody knows the inside of Newcastle better than you. Just explain to me as briefly as you can exactly why a a club with as much money, Saudi-owned as Newcastle, are considering selling and not buying this window.
3: Ledo, you can have all the money in the world and Newcastle potentially, in theory, have got all the money in the world, given who their their owners are. It's the ability to spend it that makes the difference. Within PSR, FFP restrictions, Newcastle now are right at their limit. Now, why are they at their limit? It's because they front-loaded the allowance they inherited from Mike Ashley. The one beauty of taking over a football club from Mike Ashley is, in an FFP world, you had plenty to spend. Newcastle did that. They've spent £400 million so far without anything at all coming in. They've reached this month, and bearing in mind, you know, that the rolling three-year period resets on June the first. They've got to January, and there's no wiggle room whatsoever. The first part of the month, the deals Newcastle were trying to hatch were loans whereby they paid nothing now, and this is what they offered Manchester City for Calvin Phillips, zero loan fee, but with a promise of money in the summer with an obligation and option to buy. Funny enough, clubs weren't clubs weren't willing to do them any favours with regards to that type of arrangement. So they've got to the point whereby it had to be one out for one to come in. Like I say, the money is there the want is there the ambition is there it is just the ability to spend it they are totally hamstrung by ffp restrictions
2: do you think that the 10 point um penalty that's been levied by the premier league on everton for breaching uh, ffp or psr whatever you want to call it do you think that has spooked newcastle and has it spooked football clubs in general in england is that why we are seeing such an incredible reluctance from any of our big clubs to spend money 100%.
3: It's not think, I know, you know, in the conversations I've had with with sources at Newcastle, Forest and Everton have been routinely quoted since the start of the month. They don't want to be that club. And listen, you know... Bearing in mind that there's a little bit of paranoia exists there within Newcastle as to their perception and whether they've got friends or they haven't got friends. If Newcastle were anywhere close to that limit, I think there's a feeling that the Premier League would perhaps be, be minded to come down on them. No, they don't want that. You might look at it and think, well, you know, Newcastle are a team who won't be, be fighting relegation next year. It's not about that. 10 points can be the difference between being in the top four and the, uh, you know, and, and dropping down to mid-table. So, so no, that threat is real. That reduction that, 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 that exists there. So, absolutely to answer your question you guys spooked the right word it's certainly impacted on their mindset going into this window
2: now i saw a figure earlier on which i'm which i'm going to take at face value that since 2019 which obviously goes considerably back before the saudi ownership since 2019 Newcastle have had a net spend of 600 million euros they've hardly sold any players in that time they mm. sold alan sat maximan that's kind of the standout one um now that we're in this new new era of ownership for Newcastle, and we've got people at Newcastle that we consider to be clever people, Director of mm. Football, Dan Ashworth, um, good reputation from the FA, great reputation from Brighton, Darren Eels, the Chief Executive, who I know that you've got to know and you've spoken to quite a lot, people who I think we consider to be good at what they do. Mm. Have they got this wrong? Have, have they messed this up by spending... Too heavily maybe last summer and the and the and the windows immediately post takeover and left themselves with nowhere to go right now when anyone can look at Eddie's squad and the league position think, Blimey, they need a bit of help. So have they kind of misjudged this a little bit?
3: I don't think they did misjudge it In terms of the early recruitment You look at the first 10 sign-ins they made They got them all absolutely right That was quite incredible On the back of good coaching And on the back of good recruitment To take a team in 18 months From 19th to 4th in the table Is unheard of It's almost unprecedented There was this illusion And I wrote about this for the Mail On Sunday at the weekend This idea that that, that the presence of Saudi money And Saudi ownership Was the reason Newcastle had gone From where they were to, To the Champions League That just wasn't true, you know It's the exception, not the rule, to get every signing right. Sven Botman, Bruno Gomorris, all of those players, allied to Eddie's wonderful coaching of the players he already inherited. That was the reason they went from there to there. Now, where they have gone wrong with recruitment is last summer. They spent £150 million on four players for one reason or another. Tanali's gambling, Barnes' injuries... They have not impacted at all. They've made less than fifteen starts between them. That is quite incredible for what was such a huge summer when you're going into it. All of a sudden, there's a Champions League club. So, have they got it wrong? They got last summer wrong, but to that point, they hadn't. And you know, that is a it's a, it's a this season has been a reality check. Is that you know everything had been up, up, up for Newcastle for so long. This year has been a massive reality check in terms of how hard it will be to break into that top four on a permanent basis in an FFP world.
2: From looking from the outside, it all seems a bit chaotic at Newcastle. I'm sure it's a bit calmer behind the scenes. I hope it is. Um, lots of names have been talked about. We've dealt with Armour Kieran Trippier say, says he's staying by Munich with Keane. Uh Callum Wilson. Uh, you've written about Joe Linton because there's an issue with his contract. Uh, yep. Bruno Guimaraes. Um If I was a Newcastle fan, I'd be panicking like hell hearing about the, the name. Because you're talking about quality first-team yep. players. Now, first of all, are any of those likely to go this, this window, first of all? And secondly, why did the Chief Executive, Darren Eels, say last week, I think on the television, that essentially every player has a price? That's not a great message.
3: I'll answer the last question first, and it wasn't actually Darren Eales who said that. I'll let Sorry. You know, it was me. It was me who said that. It was no. me who put it to him. And it wasn't. It, it wasn't fault. on the tel. Yeah, it wasn't on the television. It was a, a briefing from the boardroom with about you know eight or nine reporters, and I said to him, you know, so basically he had said in effect every player has his price, and I had said to him directly, so Darren, in this current you know market when Newcastle are, does every player have his price? He said yes, correct, and that is where the that is where the headlines coming from. Now to answer your question, was the timing of that right? In a window whereby very few clubs are open to business, Newcastle were the only club in the land which planted a for sale sign on the front lawn. Now, yes, I understand why they did that, because they do have to trade players. And when you break down... You know, the, the numbers in terms of what selling a £50 million player means you then buy one, you amortise it over five years. Yes, we totally get why why Newcastle wanted to let it be known. They were done for business. The point I would make is, and I know this is reflected by some internally, is that why not do that in May or June? The consequence of it is that, as you quite rightly said, later, over the last fortnight, we've had seven eight, nine, ten players linked with moves away. I know there's concern inside that that might have had an unsettling, destabilising effect on the dressing room. So while I agree with the message, it was necessary, it was was on point, it was open, it was honest, I think they got the timing of it wrong and what we've seen as a result is all of this speculation. Now to answer your very first question, are any of those guys going to actually go after two weeks of phone calls, noise, headlines, all the rest of it? No. The not the are staying Kieran Trippi has moved to Bayern Munich even though he was open to it didn't happen Bayern Munich wouldn't go high enough and the club wanted to keep him anyway you just don't sell your best player you just don't do that Callum Wilson there was interest there nothing really concrete materialised Almiron was the one like we touched on at the top that isn't going to happen now Joe Linton to wrap up he's one for the summer he's asking for money the club just aren't prepared to pay Uh, you know because of FFP constraints also one of their big successes has been they've managed a wage structure now if you shatter that that causes your problems on two fronts the the, the, probably the most pertinent one being you've got five other players knocking on your door wanting parity with Joel Hinton if his demands don't come down he'll be sold in the summer
2: very quickly because I want to move on some other um, breaking transfer stories that are coming through onto my whatsapp as we speak from our our team of reporters Um, so it seems to me that Newcastle, as we know, like everybody else, FFP PSR can only spend what they earn. So therefore, to me, that points at bigger St James's Park or a new stadium. That's my first question, because um, yeah. I'm sure you could sell St James's Park out double every every weekend. Newcastle have got to make more money. Frankly, they've got to make more money, and a, and a bigger stadium, a newer stadium, is one way to do it. Secondly. We've read and heard a lot about Dan Ashworth, links to Man United. Mm. Is this the type of frustration that could that could drive an operator like mm. Dan Ashworth into the arms of the world's biggest football
1: club?
3: First of all, on the on the PSR, on the stadium, yes. Ultimately you beat You beat PSR and you join the top four by generating more revenue, by driving revenue steams, absolutely. The reason Newcastle beat that curve last year, as I've already touched on, was the wonderful recruitment allied to Eddie's coaching. Now, to bring in more money... Yes, a new stadium is absolutely on the agenda. In the short term, they're exploring, expanding St. James's Park. That, from an architectural point of view, is an absolute nightmare. You've been there. Mm. The beauty and the charm of St. James's Park is that it's slap bang in the middle of the city centre, surrounded by pubs, listed buildings, houses and restaurants. Now that, that that creates its own challenges. Ultimately, I think the Saudis will want to move. But that is a conversation perhaps for two, three years down the line. To go back to Dan Ashworth, now I've said this. I would be surprised but not shocked if Dan Ashworth went to Manchester United I think he's coming to Newcastle and there was a project that looked a certain way from the outside in terms of you said at the top of the show later the richest football club in the world well they're not allowed to be the richest football club in the world Dan Ashworth is working under such constraints there's also the process side of things whereby he hasn't come in and been given the keys to the kingdom one because Eddie Howe was already instituted begin with and Eddie Howe's got his own very close-knit team on the coaching side and he's got a lot of power at that football club no player comes in without his say so two as well you've got the Saudi element ultimately every decision goes back to Riyadh and the word I'm getting back is that the might while Dan Ashworth isn't unhappy there's been no fallout perhaps what is being offered at Manchester United is a great deal more autonomy and scope to influence things and I think he might just be tempted by that.
2: That's really, really, really interesting. I'm just smiling a little bit here because despite the fact that Jim Ratcliffe and his his INEOS group have been given, we are told, the keys to all the football (laughs) decisions at Manchester United, every single transfer that's happened at that football club for the best part of 20 years has had to be signed off in Florida by the Glazer family. And if that changes, ultimately, well, put it this way, I'm still a bit sceptical, sceptical about that. And the St James's Park thing, I mean, wow. I mean, imagine, just imagine, just imagine moving from St. James's Park. I'm not saying it shouldn't be done, not saying it can't be done. Just imagine what a story should be. Now, I've just had a message from our producer, uh, Henry, who was saying to me, what what does PSR stand for? Should explain it. Everybody knows what FFP is. PSR Mm -hmm. is the Premier League's version of financial fair play. It stands for Profit and Sustainability Rules, FFP, Mm -hmm. PSR, for the sake of conversation on this podcast, where we like to th- keep things very, very simple. They are the same thing.
0: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind.
2: While we've actually been recording here, there has been um, some stories appearing online about Marcus Rashford and... PSG suggesting that the Manchester United forward may be a target uh, for the French club in the summer. I think that's quite predictable given that the problems that Marcus has got at the moment, um, that's not something that's going to happen in January. Maybe one to keep an eye on going forward. Uh, The first first thing's first though, Craig, I would maybe suggest that what what we would all like to see from Marcus Rashford is some renewed focus, some good form, and maybe if he does that, starts to play well again for Manchester United, then conversations about Marcus Rashford and PSG will become irrelevant.
3: Absolutely, yeah. And you look at, just to reference the PSG link, well, they've had their issues with prima donnas, with egos over the last few years, and Mbappe, and Neymar, Messi to a degree. Why would they want to go out and get a player such as Marcus Rashford? It was clearly... So troubled at the moment. I just don't think that I'd be very surprised if there was anything in that. You know, I must say, I look at Rashford's situation at Old Trafford and I struggle to see how there's a future for him there. He just seems like a player who's almost. Given up on himself really in many ways, you know. So so sad to see. I've watched him play for England. You know, at close quarters, he can be one of the most exciting players you can witness live on, on his day. How quick and how direct he can be. But but no, at the moment, there's a there's a deeper story there in links to PSG. I see very very surprised if that ever come to fruition. Marcus has got to sort himself out. First.
2: And as I said to Chris Sutton on our. Uh... Main Monday podcast uh, yesterday. Uh, the thing about Manchester United and players is that they can't keep they, if, they, if they get rid of. But they've already lost Sancho. They've already lost Greenwood. You know they've got these players have got to be replaced. And I think the best thing for everybody would be if Marcus could somehow be rehabilitated, for want of a better word, or, or just kind of realigned, brought back to good form, good you know proper fitness etc. Good focus, get back on the pitch, playing well. That's what I'd like. That's what I'd like to see. I think most English football fans would like to see that. Um, and I think Manchester United fans. Um, at least those with the more uh, long term view and a bit of patience would like that too. Now, a couple more messages in here. Um, Simon Jones and Kieran Gill, our West Ham reporter. Um, are reporting that um, Leon have agreed a fee with West Ham uh, for side Ben Rama, £15 million. Pounds. Some details still being finalised on the players' side. Talented player Ben Rama, that's interesting. Um, Leon have also offered a deal worth £30 million pounds for forest midfielder Orel Mangala, who has had interest from Napoli and Juventus disappeared down the gurgle over the last couple of weeks now so lots of spent lots of money is, there's not been that much money spent this window craig as we've already discussed there's only two and a half days left um but over the over the years lots of money has been spent badly in january people tend to say that it's a bad time to buy players but you know what there's been some pretty decent deals um taken place at this at this time of year over the years as well I think back to Manchester United signing Patrice Evra and Nemanja Vidic out of nowhere in January of 2006 I was covering Manchester United at the time and hadn't heard of either of them and look at what look at what incredible players those two turned out to be Craig give me three off, off the top of your head give me three of the best January deals of your time watching football
3: I'll start with the man we've already talked about on this podcast Kieran Trippier when Newcastle signed him two years ago for £12 million from Atletico Madrid wow you know 31 year old at the time England international coming from the Spanish champions he came in and he was transformational on that football club he lifted the entire place and he's just been a he's been I always use the phrase he's Newcastle United's grown up they're a better team when he's on the pitch he makes other players better which lends into the conversation we've just had you just don't sell him Kieran Trippier number one I'll keep the theme to Newcastle but this is a player who left Newcastle and really it was one of the very first big January transfers and that was Andy Cole in 1995 going to Manchester United for a British record £7 million. Now he was just you know at the time the the, the, the Newcastle, Cole had gone cold at Newcastle and Newcastle supporters made sense of it and they signed Les Ferdinand six months down the line and on side, people still reflect on it as a, as a decent enough bit of business and history is almost sided with Kevin Keegan honestly Andy Cole while wow. what he wanted to do at Manchester United I just think for the money they put down he was a, a tremendous striker he rediscovered everything that was good about him at Newcastle Andy Cole would be number two and three uh, Virgil van Dijk you know when he you, you talk about transformation the impact a player can have To spend £75 million, which at the time was a British record, record for a defender, to have the conviction that he was the man who would come in and make the difference. And they were right. They made the Champions League final that year, didn't win it. But within a couple of years, they were European champions, Premier League champions. Virgil van Dijk would be number three.
2: The two things I want to pick up, and I love that description of yours of Kieran Trippy being Newcastle United's grown-up. I know exactly what you mean. It just made me wonder who male sports grown-up is. Um, I have to have a little think about that one. Uh, people, some people might say I'm the granddad, but I'm not sure whether I'm the grown-up. Um, and um, the other thing that about uh, you make the point there about Van Dyke, a lot of money. And I always say this to people about transfers. People say, "Oh, it's a lot of money. It's overpriced." Uh, the worth of a transfer only becomes apparent over time, doesn't it? Mm. I remember when uh, Manchester United bought Rio Ferdinand, £30 million from Leeds. Oh, that's too much money. Nobody was saying that two or three years later. Equally, I remember when Manchester United bought uh, uh, Juan Sebastian Veron from Lazio uh, for a mm. similar figure and everyone said, oh, he's the best midfielder in the world. Great, great value. And he bombed. So Van Dijk was one of those, wasn't he? Who, he, Of course he's worth it. Of course he's worth it. Mm. You look back at what they won, he'd been worth twice that. Because of because, yeah. of because of what they, what what they won, um, I've got a list here again. Thank Henry, our producer. A couple of other caucus here actually that I'd actually for- forgotten about. Philip Coutinho, who actually was, if I'm right, uh, kind of. So Coutinho left Liverpool the same window that Van Dyke arrived. But Coutinho hmm. originally arrived at, at Liverpool from Inter in the January of 2013 for eight and a half million pounds. That's a decent deal.
3: Well, um, later, he, he, he's an FFP dream, Philip Coutinho. Yeah. And Darren, that, that was who Darren Eels quoted as the example of us when He was justifying the need to trade. He said, Liverpool bought Coutinho for eight million pounds. They sold him for 120. Now in an FFP world, that then allows you to go out and spend, you know, multiply that, Amortised over a three four year contract that then allowed them to go and get Van Dyke and Allison and build a Champions League winning team.
2: Very very good point. Uh, another one here: Edin Dzeko, uh, Wolfsburg to Manchester City, twenty seven million pounds, two thousand eleven. I thought Dzeko actually was a he, he was he was a limited success at City, but what people forget is in that game against um, QPR when they had to win the league uh, and they were 2-1 down with 5 minutes let to go we know what aguero did Zeko got the equalizer that's probably <laughs> worth probably worth uh, 27 million pounds on its own and one more one more <coughs> deli alley from mk mk dons to spurs 2015 5 million pounds now Got to ask you quickly, Craig, before we wrap up to play fantasy football manager. We've all thought yeah. about this um, on long train journeys and when we're trying to get to sleep at night. If you could if you were managed if you could buy one player for one Premier League club in this window, who would it be?
3: Well the guys who follow Newcastle who follow me won't be happy with this, but I'm gonna play along, I'm gonna go along with it. If Arsenal need a striker, a centre forward Alexander Isak at Newcastle. He really is top draw. You've seen, we've sat together later and watched him play. He, there's, there's you know, there's shades of Thierry Henry about him. The week and manipulate a ball from foot to foot, glides by, players, wonderful finisher. Alexander Isak. Newcastle paid sixty million pound from 18 months ago. You know, I'd say he's worth eighty, ninety million pound. You know, now would Arsenal go out and put that down on him? Who knows? But he is top draw and he's the type of player they need.
2: Better than Tony or, or more and better fit than Tony for Arsenal.
3: I think he's a better class. I think he's a different type of player. While I've got a lot of time for Ivan Toney, I think Alexander Rizak is more, how can I put it? He's more Champions League than Ivan Toney.
2: Very interesting. I would go for, this is a little bit more pragmatic, but that kind of suits my personality. I would go, I would go Manchester United, I would go Yao Palini, the fuller midfielder for Manchester United, um, because everybody talks about Manchester United needing to score goals. <clears throat> Problems have got at front. Manchester United need to get the bloody ball and spend a bit more time <laughs> with the ball. I think if they did, they'd control games and they could score some goals. Paulinho almost went to Bayern Munich at the end of last uh, summer's window, as we know. I think he'd a player like that, a holy midfield player, would be perfect for Manchester United. Now, again, before we, before we wrap, just looking at my WhatsApp here, another message from Tom Collum. Mossy, our Midlands expert uh, saying Giovanni Rainer not yet committed to joining Forest on loan from Dortmund. Tom was told that the player had said no, but he thinks it may, there may still be a, a door slightly open. And also Dennis Pratt, how would you pronounce it? Dennis Pratt, Dennis Prey from Leicester, wanted by Antwerp. Liverpool play tomorrow. And before we go, I'm just going to read you something that their manager, Jurgen Klopp, has said only a couple of hours ago at a press conference that's um, scheduled to preview their game against Chelsea at Anfield. So we know that Klopp's on his way. That's one bit of business that we do know is going to take place in the summer. Klopp will leave Liverpool. We're still all getting our heads around that one. And of course, predictably, people started to ask questions about what will happen to some of Liverpool's players. Virgil van Dijk, who hasn't got an awful long time left on his contract was the first player to come out on Sunday after the game against Norwich to say that he wasn't sure about what the future may hold, which has set alarm bells ringing on Merseyside that there'll be a stampede out the door to follow Klopp. Klopp has been asked about this today, and I think it's probably not overstating it to say that he doesn't sound terribly happy. This is a message I've been sent from Lewis Steele, our Merseyside man who says, a week ago, when nobody knew about about my decision, nobody asked about player contracts. Give the boys a break. We need to create a perspective about what's happening next. Nobody has to worry. I knew this would happen. You, in the media, can't wait for these kinds of questions. Virgil didn't go out there and say it on purpose that you had something to say. So you should write what you want. This club is stable, 100%. Everything will be fine. I'm 100% sure. For our supporters, I would recommend stay calm. Well, isn't there a phrase about somebody protesting a little bit too much? And um, if there is, then um, maybe uh, that is a good example of that, right, Craig? That is it, mate. Thank you. That's been uh, informative. Informative. I have learned a lot today, as I always do when I talk to you about northeast uh, football. You can head off to uh, Villa Park, mate. Put your hat on. Put your gloves on. Put your long johns on. Um, and I hope you get a good game to watch. All I'm gonna say is to remind everybody that this program uh, will be coming to you every day this week. So there'll be another episode of It's All Kicking Off Transfer Week tomorrow. I'll be joined by Mike Keegan, our sports news correspondent. There'll be another one on Thursday with Sammy Mockwell, our chief football reporter. There'll be a wrap-up show on Friday, by which time the window would have closed. We'll all be on that one. As well as that, Chris Sutton and I will do our normal Thursday It's All Kicking Off preview show On Thursday morning. It's going to be a busy week. I'm sure that the transfer window will get busier over the next couple of days. Somebody always panics. Somebody always makes a move. When they do, we'll be right across it. just to make sure that you get all the episodes of the show this week that come thick and fast, the best way to do that is to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. and You won't have to go looking for the show every 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 day. It will come popping up into your inbox. That will also help us. If you've got views on any of the things we've talked about today, any of the transfers we've mentioned, anything that Craig told us about Newcastle, if you've got a view on what your club should do, what your club shouldn't do, if you've got a view on the best ever January transfers that we talked about, or the worst, let us know about that too. The best way to do it is get, whether you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, go to the show, go to the comments section or, the, or the, uh, the, the review section, leave a comment, leave a question. That's where we'll find them. That's it. That's the end of the sales pitch. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you tomorrow. And this has been its all kicking off Transfer Week special.